moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. All right, everyone, we are back again. My name is Lawrence Brown, and you are here listening to and hopefully watching Cascading Leadership, the show. I am one of the co-hosts. My other co-host, Jim, Dr. Jim, as we call him, is unfortunately able to be with us today. So we will go ahead and continue and have fun without him. He is going to really miss this because I know it's going to be a great show. We have with us today, Phil Chow with Humanitas Technologies. We would love for you, Phil, to say a little bit about you and give us an intro about who Phil is. First of all, hi, everyone. So I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, nonprofit kid growing up, volunteer with the local United Way, was a recipient of many public services, so went through the public school system. This is something that I get asked a lot, was it like from my parents' influence? Not so much, if anything, they were the opposite, because I'm Asian, probably it's just quite obvious, and I'm supposed to, in that stereotypical fashion, either be a doctor or engineer. I am an engineer, but not the kind they wanted. And also, just I did not go down the path that was expected of me. But when I was like around 11, I just woke up one day and I'm like, I really like helping people. Now, I see that in a very selfish way. It's, it just happens that this obsession I have happens to be something that could be altruistic. I just don't want to claim that I'm any anyone as altruistic as Mother Teresa. I'm not. I, 20 years later, I still wake up and this is the first thing I think about in terms of this intersection of impact and tech and the last thing I think about at night. So anyway, did the nonprofit journey when I was like 20. 25 somehow got involved in philanthropy with a couple of major families that you may be familiar with already i won't name drop but if you're on here you can find my linkedin around the same time 2013 best friend founded a company went from three people to about 1200 today is the typical software as a service startup i learned a lot on that journey i guess one of the things that you grew more of an understanding of is that as a machine where you have like stakeholder interests they want you to succeed and the very and the bigger you are as an organization, the less room you have to diverge from that path. So that I grew up much more naive in terms of role of big tech and the direction of technology. I guess now I am understanding, but still have a healthy dose of constructive criticism for where things are going. I know we talked about earlier about skimming, but I, I do have a couple of yeah. questions about the origin story. Your parents wanted to go down a, a different path, which is yeah. it's a theme that we've heard of, especially <laughs> those of us that have West Indian background or Asian background or Indian background. There's like these professional careers are what is the top achievement. Can you say a little bit about how you got into tech specifically? Did that start to occur in high school or was that like college or uh, so what's that um, background? One thing I do fit into a stereotype of what I was, I was always pretty good at math. I love volunteering. I was really good at math, but I didn't really get involved and in, I did not have that story of how by the time I was 15, I was building my first company, but I did think about building a server farm, which was maybe in, in that direction. It was very much serendipitous to give some background is that first and foremost, I'm still that nonprofit get at heart. Saturdays, I still clean dishes at the local soup kitchen here near Mountain View in California. And 
my journey into tech was very much my bestie and I, we both came from a very much of a civic and nonprofit background. And I guess he had the startup itch first. And I just remember a couple of months after he founded that, uh, we were just catching up one day. He's like, hey, by the way, you want to get involved in this thing? We're trying to just make government in- information a lot more accessible to decision makers across Fortune 500 companies. And I'm like, eh, why not? See what happened. But it was very much serendipitous. There wasn't much planning there. But one thing, maybe it's relevant to this story was that I have been disowned by my dad growing up because this path is it's not one, they love me in their own ways. And from their perspective, I was basically a sinner doing the things that I wanted to do. So I entered college wearing earrings. I was very much a delinquent. Like my hair was all the way down here. My take was like, I'll just finish college ASAP and then do some minimum wage job and spend the rest of my time volunteering. That was literally my mindset. I did not meet my first mentor until I was 21, 22. And that changed me. So I'll say that there's the pre-mentor and post-mentor. That was probably the biggest inflection point for who I am as a person. You have to understand that I was a suburb kid, right? I wasn't living in like downtown Vancouver. I was like in the mountains, like literally in a plateau, an hour plus away from the airport. There was a lot of information asymmetry and the internet it wasn't as pervasive. Like we weren't effective with the kind of like personalization algorithms back then. There was nothing really like that. So unless the magic work to put in, I could not find my tribe. I did not know my tribe exists. I just knew that I am not like my peers and I was horribly lonely. And yeah, Terry Clifford, that's the name of my mentor and he changed my life. That idea of giving back, even just being on these calls, I see it as, hey, I can share my story and be helpful. And it's not like a hard ask. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, whatever, man. Like, I, I'm a consultant. I don't need yeah. to get a cut of everything I do. It doesn't matter. But maybe there is a view of elitism when I say that. So I have to be cautious with uh, the privilege that I yeah. got lucky sequentially mm-hmm. to get to where I am. And not many people out there, they do not have that. Yeah. And I should not take it for granted. I think that's a valid point. As you were sharing your story, I, the question that came to mind is that, was it with your best friend or was it with Terry's guidance that you talked about? You said a little bit about building a farm, the <laughs> server farm. Yep. So where did, how did you make the transition from? First of all, I'm still curious as to how at 11 years old, you're talking about trying to build a server farm. Teen, 14, 14 yeah. teen 11s. That's yeah. still a pretty, a pretty major kind of thought process to wanting to do a server farm. So I'm assuming that because you had this tech interest, how did that evolve to your, was it the work with your best friend or yeah. Terry or a combination of the two that led to your inroads into DI as a professional? Yeah. So I think one underlying thing about me is that I've always been curious about how the world works. And I would say that it's still a journey to really observe and be part of society without imposing my values from a biased lens. I think a lot of people build what they want rather than what is needed. So that journey of understanding what is needed, how things work, is a lifelong journey for me. Terry taught me how government works and the role of a nonprofit. Not I was a, I was a youth worker. 
I volunteer. That's my main thing. I just like being around a community. And I was naive. I'm like, ah,、oh, if only I can be more helpful. If only I can like 10x my time and service people that are struggling. That was the world I thought about. I did not even know what the word philanthropy. I was like 26, man. Because yeah, my world. I know it's a foundation. I know those are people we have to entertain、mm-hmm. and keep happy. But the P word is a very unique word. Unless you're a、yeah. peer in that circle, you don't use the P word. So I was like that. These different inflection points of my life does that more dimension dimensions and key to how I see the world.、Mm. Now that server farm thing, I got my first desktop. And I was pissed that it was slow, and I'm like, "Why is it so slow?" <laughs> Took it apart. I'm like, "What's in here? And how does this work?" And it was a lot of like trial and error. I remember I saw on and I had a little bit of money saved up, and I remember there was like this 100 gigabyte external hard drive on sale. It wasn't at Best Buy. It was like one of the other like Computer City something like that. Computer City. And then oh, I'm like, oh, Hewlett Packard 100 gigabyte hard drive. Oh, let's see what happens with that. I plug that in, and it crashed my desktop because I don't have enough. Yeah. So little that. That was the way I learned about computers. But I guess just through these different phases of journey, I would say that my interest in the work that he founded, I wasn't that involved in government, in, in politics, in the way that he was. I got involved because he was the one doing it, and I have worked with him on、mm-hmm. nonprofit. And I guess he saw in me a complementary set perspective. Because at that point, I've been to many fancy gathering as that token Asian Canadian nonprofit volunteer. I was that token person. They would highlight at G20 at APEC. I've been on those in a couple circuits on behalf of the Canadian delegation. And yeah, so I think that I brought something unique. To the table that maybe most, you no, know, twenty-five, twenty-six years didn't really have a perspective of in terms of、mm-hmm. workings of like ultra high net worth family offices, how that world operates in terms of investors. I don't know how to fundraise, but I know how these people think. Yeah. So that was an interesting perspective, and I guess where I end up being in this moment, the I it was for me much more about. Our relationship with technology and how you just hear from time to time on the news and on the media how certain populations are not benefiting from technology in the way that they should. And then I, every time that happens, I go into that detective mode. What does that actually mean? What is the mechanism in which like that decision? What created this final output? How do I reverse engineer and understanding what's going on? So I'll say that even this half on on it was very accidental、mm-hmm. in the sense that I think I had always been working around inclusion issues. It's just that now that I'm 35, I learned that DI is a word. <laughs> just time for me. I don't know. I'm 26, so maybe every decade、yeah. I learn one new word. That's、right? English second language. <laughs> yeah, I'm a slow learner. But, yeah, I find it hard to believe because I just listen to some of the stuff you're sharing. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. The things that you're accomplishing at, at such a young age. You're saying you're in your 30s, like you're in your 90s. So you're like, certainly just getting started.、And、you so. You- We talked a lot about this. It's one of the questions that I do have as well around identifying what some of the gaps are. Yeah. But I wanted to call out something that, as I again, as I was listening, and so I'd ask you the question about the whole drive around your interest in tech and how you got into this space. And I think that it's important to call out. I think even though you didn't know necessarily that it was deep, it sounds、yeah. like that your empathy has always been around serving others. And I think that that's a、yeah. great segue. But the other part that that struck me is that. 
you're also, it sounds to be a person about connection as well. So when you say you talk about your best friend or about Terry, that is this whole element of these points of contact with other people in my life. As you were talking about, you said a little bit about this, is that I, as it relates to artificial intelligence, and what I can share is that I'm a hopeful futurist and all of that. Certainly, I don't think that we're on the same plan. I think you're like here and I'm here as we talk about this conversation. But what I have heard is things that are impactful. First of all, let me take a step back. When I've watched shows when I was a kid or even as an adult, frankly, and unfortunately, you've seen it within the last five years. But shows that don't have diversity in them that are mm-hmm. futurist shows. I always, that always struck me. And I think that was one of the reasons that I appreciated Star Trek because I was, was going to joke about that. I'm like, because it was actually, I think that now knowing what I know, it was like, you see all these people that look like all the people that I know, it seems normal. And now I started thinking these other shows are not normal. And it wasn't just necessarily technology shows, right? Or things yeah. that are predicated on that. And the other thing that came to mind that I had read recently was, I think it was, I had seen it. It was maybe on 60 Minutes. It was a show. They were talking about these driverless trucks. And then I started doing a little research and they were saying like how people were concerned about some of the technology around all of the driverless cars and whether or not they would have the ability to identify people of mm-hmm. color like out in front of them. And then I had read some articles on the gaps around uh, policing as it relates to this technology. Can you say more about that? And are there any other gaps that you find concerning? I think uh, with respect to the latest advances in technology as we know it today in like algorithms that you mentioned a little bit about like vision AI and the other cap being uh, language AI, like natural language processing, they need data to train from. So the problem is not one in society had the same starting point when it came to, to technology. Who can afford the latest iPhone with the latest iWatch with 5G internet? Or maybe if you take vaccine, you get free 5G. Oh, I'm in good trouble. But my, my point there is that if I'm the data scientist or the machine learning engineer at a company, think from their shoe. That person probably worked in an academic setting at school, maybe. Did it. So they went from a university to basically the same environment, now have a big tech name sponsoring the work that they do. But the premise is the same, that they work with data that they have already to solve problems that they can within that some universe of how they define truth. The role of the data scientist is not to originate data. They don't think about the broader business objective of the company. That's not the job. The job is to make sense of this flood of information that they already have in-house to complement the thesis that they're trying to accomplish. So I think a lot of these issues that we talk about, even though AI, I think, is a very topical thing that's trending. I don't know what's more topical, AI or like a crypto at the moment. Maybe this week is crypto. Yeah, uh, this week is crypto. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. The thing that people don't talk as much about is the training data that we need to power these different tools. And so I think what we need more of is about data diversity, data quality. How can we like have data that is more representative of the population so that we don't get into these issues of African-Americans being mislabeled as animals on some of these social media platforms. A lot of that is me as a data scientist. We already have a lot of facial profile data of white and the Caucasian and East Asian folks. Yeah, we'll just apply a model and it'll be what it'll be. But if we don't have a representative population from other folks, then you know that's where the biases can happen. 
And so just remember that from the perspective of the data scientist, it's not their job to fill in that gap. And a lot of these things could be seen as an edge case, but they're like, eh, we work with what we have and then figure out later. How does Humanitas technology fit into the concern that you're talking about? And the second part of that is, what is the overall impact to the NPO space, where I think is where you operate primarily right now? So we do two things. So our big thesis is that to build a more inclusive internet, meaning that I want every single app a person uses, whether it's like social media, whether it's a job application tools, being a gig worker in terms of consumer finance, how can every single online interaction be more inclusive and fair than it is right now? The way that we do that is not hiring the latest batch of computer science PhDs because look, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they will hire them and that those folks who got life's work in the last five years will improve some algorithm by half a percent or a percent. And maybe a couple of years, there's some whiz kid and they'll be like, oh yeah, I can improve this by a hundred percent. Cool. That trend will happen. The algorithms as we know it will incrementally get better. I'm not debating that. But what I think is missing is that it's about data quality, right? This is no longer a pure AI problem. This is actually a messier problem. How do we actually bring up and lift up all these frontline folks that are small businesses, local nonprofits, religious organizations, even the role of like government services. How do we bring that perspective? So that is a big part of what we do. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.